Are we still in 1 Corinthians? Yeah, we are. We are. Yes, we are. Praise God for that. I want to set it up a little bit, kind of get us into the flow of the text a little bit with you. So what, what, what's been happening here, <clears throat> what Paul's been telling the Corinthian church, by the way, Corinth, do you remember what Corinth looked like at that time? Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was a, it was the center of the trade between the north and the south, and there, it, was, it was wealthy, and, and if you went there, it was a bustling city with all kinds of stores and markets and people from all nations. There was a, a colony from Rome. There was, a, there was a lot of Greeks there, obviously, being part of Greece. There was a colony of Jews. If you went, there was a huge melting pot because it was, it was this prosperous city that everybody was drawn to. And it was, and it was as we saw, it's full. When any bustling city in the world, what happens? What comes with it? Sin, thank you. Sin does. It was full of sins and false gods and false idols and sexual morality and drunken orgies and everything you could imagine was going on in the city of Corinth. And then God calls Paul there, and for the first time they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear, but there's only one true God that if you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you'll become this new creation. And for 18 months, and by the way, this wasn't, an hour a Sunday for 18 months. This was day and night discipling the men and women of Corinth in the word of God, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. And, and so now he writes this letter, and what, he, what uh, Pastor Tyler and I have been sharing with you is, I mean, he's just been saying, there's, there's, it's not going well, church. It's not going well. Things are starting to fall apart. There's divisions in the church. And, and he, goes, he goes, you remember, it, for, he was telling them, the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing, but it's the power of God to those that are being saved. He's also trying to let them know, some of you aren't saved. Some of you aren't born again. This, this word of God is foolishness to you. And, and, and he's calling them out that they need to stop and examine themselves to see where they are with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Where are you at with Jesus? Do you love the word of God? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you convicted by your own sinfulness? So, so that's what's going on in the church. And so what's happened, which happens to us too, is Paul left because God called him to plant another church. And the church was doing what? It was backsliding, right? It was backsliding. It was leaning on worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. And sin's coming into the body of Christ, and they're tolerating different sinful behaviors within the church, and Paul's calling them out on some of these things. By the way, is that not true for all of us? If we don't stay committed to the Word of God, if we don't stay committed to prayer, if we don't stay committed to this body of believers... We all know this, brothers and sisters. It won't be long before we're backsliding. And what happens is we start to love the world more than we love the one. That's what happens. And that's what's going on in Corinth. That's kind of the picture of the scene here that Paul's addressing. And so now he stops. This is awesome now. He stops there. He kind of, these first chapters, he's kind of been laying the foundation of what's the, the condition of the church before he gets into some deep, confronting, uh, sinful challenges uh, of rebuking them of sinful challenges in the church. 
But first he must stop to tell him who he is. That's what today is about. He had to stop and tell him who he is in Christ Jesus. In other words, what is my motivation for saying these things to you? Are you with me on this? You know, how about if someone comes up to you to rebuke you or to correct you that is a stranger? Or how about this, someone that you consider an enemy or someone you don't respect? If they came up and rebuke you and, and correct you, how will you receive that? Not well. <laughs> not well. It, right. We, not well. We're not going to take that in, are we? When, when it's someone that, and by the way, what, what, and one of the reasons we won't take it in is because right away we're going, why are you, t- why are you, why are you in my kitchen? You don't even like me. So I, I know the reason you're in my kitchen is because it's, it's about you more than it's about me. It's not out of your love for me, Right. But now, on the other hand, what if someone, a family member or a dear brother and sister or a spouse comes up to you and says, listen, I got I to challenge you on something going on in your life. How will we receive that? We're going to weigh that, right? We're going to take that in, I pray we would. And, and, and because the, the reality is, is how we receive rebuke and correction will depend on the relationship with the person giving that rebuke and correction. And one other thing that will weigh it in is their own life, Right? What's their life like? It could even be a loved one, a friend, a brother and sister, but if their life is not really following a godly, righteous life, then we also won't weigh that very heavy either, will we? It always kills me. I see guys giving other guys marital advice when they, their own marriage is a mess. Or I've got guys giving people financial advice when they're basically on the verge of bankruptcy. So, so the reality is, is, is that we, we have to weigh the... Uh, the the giver of this rebuke and correction. So Paul stops here in the text, and he wants to make sure that these, the Corinthian church knows exactly what his motivation is. Why am I saying what I'm saying to you? Who am I? Now, let me just review with you for a minute here. Some of the things that Paul's already told him in the first few chapters here is he said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who I am, 1 Corinthians 3.5. Or 1 Corinthians 3.6, I am but a farmer. I can only seed in water. God is the only one that can harvest. Don't elevate me. He says, I'm just God's fellow worker. I'm just one of the many workers for the kingdom of God. I'm a builder. I'm a builder in that I build only on the foundation of Jesus Christ by the word of God. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that he says, I'm a galley slave. I'm an under rower in the bottom of a ship. I am the the worst slave within the kingdom of God. That's who I am. And then lastly, in 1 Corinthians 4.1, he said, I'm a steward. I'm strictly a manager of the word of God. I'm here to manage the word and, and, uh, and, and manage it well for the kingdom of God. Now today, he adds one more definition to who he is. He said, I am your spiritual father. I am your spiritual father. And uh, we'll talk about that today. So... so Setting this up for the text is, why do I write to you? Why do I teach you the living word of God? Why do I rebuke you and discipline you? Why do I correct you and desire that you would repent of your sins? Why do I train you and call you to follow my example? Why? Because I love you. I love you like a good father loves his own children. This is the motivation of my heart. I am filled with the love of God and my love for you. So that's, that's the, the setting for this morning. And now if you'd open your Bibles to uh, the text, which is 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. 
1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21, and our brother Charles is back in service this morning. Praise God for that. It's always good to see Charles walking around and sharing the word. So please stand for the reading of God's word. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love, in a spirit of gentleness? Amen. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate it. So let's work our way through this, the text this morning. You all ready? Yes. All right. Let's let's get let's get busy here. It says, "Why do I write? Uh, wh- why do I write to you all these things?" He says, "I do not write these things to make you ashamed." Do you see that? I, a better translation is, "I don't write these things just to make you ashamed." Are you with me on this? That's a better way of saying it. Because is shame a good thing? Yes, shame's a good thing when it comes to the sin in our life. Shame entered this world, this fallen world, in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, they became ashamed of their sin. And I pray, I mean, come on, brothers and sisters, haven't you ever done something really sinful, and every time you thought of it, it was like, oh, right? You're just full of shame. You're just embarrassed by the things you said or the things you did in, in a sinful moment, Right? I've been there countless times. So shame is a good thing because shame should lead us to repentance. Thank you, to repentance. So the guiltiness of our sin should lead us to repent and be reconciled back with God. It's a good thing. So that's not what Paul's saying, but Paul's saying, I love you as my beloved children. I'm not just here to make you ashamed. I'm here to, what is the word he uses? Admonish you. I'm here to admonish you. I'm here to teach you. I'm here to train you as my beloved children in righteousness. So it's, yes, I, I'm going to reveal the sin in your lives. I'm going to reveal that we've got, you know, a guy in church with his, with his stepmom and all these other things, uh, drunken orgies and all things going on in these people's lives. But he said, I'm not just doing that to make you feel bad. I'm doing that because I love you as my children. I'm your spiritual father, and I want to train you, instruct you, so that not only will you repent, but you'll be able to start living the life that God wants you to live. Amen? So, so that's what he's saying here. It's not just this issue of making you feel bad, but it's coming alongside of you and helping you become the men and women of God that God wants you to be. So if you can picture this, which is true for any spiritual uh, leader, any pastor of a church, any mentor in your life, is that they're, they're going to be coming to you with this umbrella of love. You see this? There's an umbrella of love that overrides this whole process of discipling somebody or teaching the Word of God. I teach the Word of God of you. The overriding umbrella in my life for you is my love for you. 
It is absolutely my love for you. But in that love, I want you to become all that you can in Christ Jesus. So that includes confronting you sometimes. Sometimes it's teaching you. Sometimes it's rebuking you. Sometimes it's encouraging you. Do you see the the counteracting truth? Sometimes it's to discipline you. Sometimes it's to reward you. It's having the people that just cleaned the church stand up so we can thank them. We want to acknowledge people in their faithfulness to the Lord. But it's the whole package, right? It's the whole package that is done in love. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying to them. I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed or just to, to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So then he goes on. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I think we all would agree that we only have one earthly father and mother. Amen? It's a special role in our lives. I also fully aware that we did not all have good fathers and mothers. Some of us don't even know some of our some of us don't even know our fathers and mothers. Amen? But the reality is, is we all came from one earthly father and mother. Now, a good, let me qualify, a good earthly father and mother would want their children, all their children, to be happy. Would they not? They'd want all their children to be healthy. They would want them all to be safe and to succeed in life. That's what a good father and mother, earthly father and mother, would do. Amen? Now, let's add another qualifier here. A godly father and mother would have an additional set of agendas in the family, right? So a godly father and mother, their greatest desire is for their children to be saved. That's the greatest desire of a godly father and mother is to see their children be saved and enter the kingdom of God. It's an overriding drive because... See, a godly father and mother realizes that life on earth is temporal. It's a mist. It won't be long till we all enter the eternal kingdom of God. And so we want our children to be with us for eternity. So the, the greatest burden of a godly father and mother is that they might be saved. They, they want to see their children sanctified, right? Not just be saved, but they want to disciple them. They want to teach them and train them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord so that they will become more and more like Jesus. See, it's different than the world. It's not just about being happy, healthy, and successful in the world. There's a much greater agenda in the Christian's life. It's it's for them to be more like Jesus, to love the Lord, the God, with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love their neighbors themselves, to become hungry and thirsty for the Word of God, to remain poor in spirit, humble, to remain mourning over their own sinfulness in their life, this is, this is what a godly father and mother does in their children's lives. And by the way, success in the world is, is way down on the agenda for a godly father and mother. Because we know that none of that lasts. Now don't misunderstand me. I think it's the responsibility of a godly father and mother to find out they're designed vocationally, what they're designed to do, as you know I'm big on design for work, and get them into the right vocation. But that's that's way down in the list of priorities in a godly parent's life. So that's the second one, and that is what Paul is talking about here as a spiritual father and mother, is that just like 
your earthly parents, they have a special responsibility to help their children be raised up and become all they can for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Now, just so you know, when Paul says he's your spiritual father and mother, he's just a spiritual father. I mean, when he says that, he's talking about the fact in Jesus Christ, he was used by God to bring them the gospel, and through his faithful preaching and teaching, God chose him to be the deliverer of the gospel that saved them. Are you with me on this? So he was the one that shared the gospel, and God's the one that saved him, but in that sense, he had a special relationship with the Corinthians because he was the one God used to save them. Do you have a spiritual father or mother in your life? Is there someone, you, there's someone specifically that shared the gospel with you that led you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Mary and I have the same one, Dr. Rick Lobbs, who was a faithful preacher in our church, and through his preaching of the Word of God, Mary and I both got saved under his preaching. I have a special uh, relationship with him in my heart and mind, even though I've never sat down with him and told him that he was the one that, was the one that God used to bring me into a saving relationship. I'd also say there's many other men and women that have done a great deal more than he ever did to raise me up in the faith. But at the same time, there's this special relationship that I have for him and and love for him because he was my spiritual father. So that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one that God used uh, to bring you into the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, even though you have countless guides in Christ, countless pastors and teachers, I hold a special place in your heart. And I just want you to realize that it is in that special relationship, the special love I have for you that I'm speaking to you right now. This is, this is the motivation of my heart is out of this special relationship. Are you with me on this? So then he continues. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. Do you see this? What do you think about the statement that we've all heard, do as I say, not as I do? Does that sit well with you? <laughs> if it's not important enough for you to do, why should I do it, right? But the reality is, you know, I'll just, I think all of us, how about this? All of us, with our parents, maybe, at least I can say for my parents, growing up with my parents, there were some things I admired about my parents and some things I didn't admire about my parents. And... Um, the things I did admire, I said, I will never do that in my life. Anybody else say that? And then when I got older, guess what? I was ended up doing <laughs> I ended up doing the things I said I would never do. When when it came out of my mouth or out of my behavior, it's like, I can't believe I'm doing what my dad did. I can't believe I'm saying what my dad said. And parents are so deceived sometimes they, they tell their children to do as I say, not as I do, but kids are watching and listening. And, and they're taking it in at the dinner table. And, they're, and, they're, they're, and that is what they're going to follow, is the examples of our lives more than the words we speak. And that's why he's saying, be an imitator of me. Well, imitator Paul, I lived with you for 18 months, day and night. You saw how I lived my life. I hid nothing from you. You know what they say, true character is who we are when no one's watching. They were with Paul all the time. It wasn't just a Sunday morning for an hour. They were with him. They saw who he was. He was, be imitators of me. You saw how I lived out my faith. You saw how serious I was about the word of God. You saw my prayer life. You saw how, me, how I treated other people in my life. Do as I did. Live as I lived. That's what he's saying to them.
You know, I'll just say this to you, brothers, as an application point. Is we need to find people to be imitators of as well. You know, I can remember, you know, one of the hardest transitions of my life was after I was saved. I had to say goodbye to a lot of relationships in my life. I I could no longer be with people. I could no longer go to certain places. I I, I couldn't be with them anymore. I was a new creation in Christ. I didn't know what that meant, but I just knew I couldn't be with them anymore because I knew they, they would lead me down deep into the darkness again. But then the harder part for me, because of course I'm telling you this because I was filled with pride, is I had to find people in my church. To me, before this moment, I thought they were Bible nerds. Now now they they were the people I wanted to be around. I I would say I wanted to be around. I knew I had to be around. Right? So with fear and trembling, I started hanging out with these Bible nerds. I, I saw them, and by the way, I'm one of them now. But I, I, I saw them with their, with their wives, these guys. I saw them with their kids. And my kids were, I had two infants and a, and a three-year-old. That, that's who I wanted to be like, right? So, so you know, you, you have to be finding people to be imitating as well, too. The, the most comfort thing, I see this at the mission all the time, is you find guys that are like-minded, like-sinned. You know, you're comfortable being around a bunch of guys that were like you on the street, or ladies, you too. And that's, that was true for me. I, it would have been easier for me to hang with a bunch of guys that I've, been, that I've been hanging around with for 30 years than starting all over with these Bible nerds. But I knew that's what I had to do. And I wanted to be imitators of them. And for you guys and gals, everybody in the church, you should be trying to, to make yourself more like Christ. So don't even, being hang, don't even hang around guys, at the, guys and gals at the same place. Find someone that's much further along in their faith, much further along in their walk with the Lord, and, and gut it out, get some courage, and go ask them out for a cup of coffee. Or, or if you keep hanging around people that are the same place you are, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. They're not challenging you to grow. They're not helping you grow. The center's open every morning, Sunday morning early. We got a big coffee pot over there. Meet them next door for a cup of coffee. Share your stories. You don't have to have an agenda. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your walk with the Lord. That's how we become spiritually mature, is by hanging around people that are more mature than we are. And that's what he's telling them to do. Don't, don't, don't be imitators of all these people that are in the church right now in Corinth. Be imitators of me that you saw for 18 months. And then he continues. He goes, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say in the things I said. He said in my ways. Live before you. Timothy was Paul's most faithful, most discipled child of God. He was the one that was with Paul through countless sermons. He spent one-on-one time with with Paul. He he had raised him up in the Lord. He, He was someone that could send because he was the one that was most like Paul. Now, when I say most like Paul, I don't mean personality, natural gifting, or even spiritual gifting. Timothy, as we know from Scripture, was very different than Paul in those ways. But he was most like Paul in his love for God, his love for the Word, his love for a righteous life. Paul could completely trust him in any situation because he knows 
he would be teaching and preaching the same kind of message that Paul preached and teached. Are you with me on this? So he sends him out to, to remind them, because when they heard Timothy, when they saw Timothy and how Timothy lived their life, that would remind them of Paul. And the, ultimately, what is the goal here is to become like Jesus. And so that's what he's telling them. So I'm going to ask you again. I've said, who are you right now? Who are you, brothers and sisters? What do you want to change in your life? What do you want to take off and what do you want to put on? Who do you have to say goodbye to? Maybe it's someone sitting next to you right now. You say, you know what? This relationship is not good for me. Who do you want to follow? Who do you have to reach out to and invite out for a cup of coffee? I'll tell you, one of the greatest choices in all of life is who we choose to spend time with. And one, of the, one thing that we will never regret is that the part of us that becomes conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And I'd just say I'm so thankful that I took that courage because I had men that poured into my life, that spent time with me, especially those early ones. They were patient brothers, I'll tell you. And I don't regret any of those things. That was, I had butterflies in my stomach. It was a hard thing to do, but I don't regret any of them and, and what they did in me and through me for Christ Jesus. Okay, let's go on here. We're almost done. So he says here, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. So you, could you picture this, brother, and says, my beloved children of God, I do not desire to shame you, but to admonish you. you know, I'm your spiritual father. I want to encourage you to, to do what's right in the eyes of God. I know you've had, you've had many pastors, teachers, and mentors, but I'm your spiritual father. Please listen to me. I have a special relationship with you. I plead with you to live the life I taught you to live, the life I lived before you for those 18 months. And I want to remind you and help you live this new life, and therefore I'm sending Timothy as an example of this new life. But he goes, now he goes this, he, he switches gears here. I must warn you, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. I must warn you, I've heard some, some in the church are arrogant and prideful and believing they can say and do whatever they want with no consequences. It's not going to happen. They're not going to get away with it. He was talking, you live as there is no account for your life, and then I will never come to see you and confront you. More importantly, Jesus will be there to confront them, but Paul says, I will as well if the Lord wills. And what was happening, brothers and sisters, again, this backsliding within the church, false uh, you know, wolves in sheep clothing, false teachers come in, people that love their sin more than they love Jesus are in the church, and they're all encouraging the body to start living the way they used to live in Corinth before the, before the gospel showed up. And many people are being, you know, the weak lambs are being pulled away from a godly life, and they're, they're going back to the drunken orgies and all the rest of it. And, and, and Paul's like, don't think that I'm not going to come and confront you people in this. You can't live like that anymore. I love what he says here. He says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. You see that? The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So he's saying, if the Lord wills, I will come soon, and I will confront these arrogant backsliders, these false teachers, these people uh, living in sin. 
and we will see who has the power of God. There is no power in the words of man. So if these people stand up to debate Paul with their own worldly wisdom, they will be shattered by the power of God and his, his wisdom and his word. I will put them to shame by the word of God. And he said, then we'll see who's on God's side. And by the way, God comes to us no other way but accepting complete power. And then he, he says this in closing. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Do you see that? That reminds me of that statement, wait until your father gets home. <laughs> do you ever remember that statement? Oh, boy. Didn't want to hear that. But that's what I see. He says, wait till your father gets home. Paul's the father. I'm coming. Wait till, wait till I get home. Well, then we'll find out what the real story is. And I'll either come with my dad would be with his belt <laughs> or, uh, or the spirit of gentleness. Let me say this, brothers and sisters. Every good father and mother would rather come in love than with a rod. You have to know that. That is their ultimate desire. They would rather come in a loving, gentle, joyful spirit than have to come and discipline a child. I'm talking about a good father. Don't get me wrong. Some of us didn't have good fathers where they enjoyed the discipline. I'm talking about a good father comes, and it's our good mother, and they come, and it's a difficult thing to discipline a child. Yeah, amen. I, Steamer just shared, a, and I heard that many times, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I wasn't buying that back then with my, as I was getting spanked or whipped, but I, get, I do now as a parent realize that is true because, oh, is it heavy on a heart when you have to discipline a child? And by the way, again, just like the admonishing thing, it, the beginning is the, the spanking or whatever because then the discipleship follows that where you sit down with the child and talk about, and you never do it in anger, amen? amen. And so then you sit down and kind of process that with them and talk through that. Not to get into a parenting sermon here, but... <laughs> so I, I, I got to turn this into the church situation, and, and that's really what Paul's talking about. And you've heard us preach on this many times, but that's why we practice Matthew 18 in this church, right? You know what Matthew 18 is. Some of you may not know, but we practice Matthew 18, which is the prescription for church discipline. It's the prescription for church discipline. So the deal is here, we're going to walk through it again, because we never get tired of hearing this, do we? So if someone sins against you in this church, or you see someone living in sin within this church, that is your call to go talk to them one-on-one, -on -one. right? That's Matthew 18. You say, hey, listen, Tom, I saw you doing this and that. Is it okay pick on you, Tom? I, I, I saw you doing this and that. And brother, I just want you to repent. I want you to be restored into the right relationship with God. I want you to be restored back within the church, right? And praise God, Tom repents. He's restored in the family. It ends right there. It's a private deal. Are you with me? But Tom says, hey, forget you. You know, I like what I'm doing. I'm not changing. He said, well, listen, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get Ed and Greg, and I'm going to come talk to you again then, and we'll go talk to Tom together, and we're going to try to lovingly pull him back out of this downward spiral back into the family of God that he would repent, amen? And if Tom repents, it's done. It's between the three of us or four of us. It's over. But if Tom says, hey, the heck with all you guys, then he comes before the elders of the church 
and the elders of the church say, Tom, you know, this is we've witnesses, they've seen you, you know, you need to repent. And Tom says, To heck with all of you. I'm not I'm not leaving her, or whatever it is. Sorry, Tom, I'm put that one on you. <laughs> this is all story, Tom's not. So that the point is, is then then what what is what does the church need to do then? Yes. And and hit it, then we need to ask Tom to leave the body. We say, Tom, you can't, you can't fellowship with us anymore. You can't hang with us. We aren't stoned to death. <laughs> no, no, Kevin, we're, no, we're not going to stone him to death. <laughs> no, we're going to ask him to leave. That's, that, yeah, we're going to ask him to leave the fellowship. And the whole, by the way, the whole reason I'm asking him to leave the fellowship is that he loves us and misses us so much. If it's really a church, that Tom's going to want to come back to be with us. So eventually that burden of missing us and not being part of this family, he says, you know what? i got to turn from this sin. i got to go back into the body of Christ and be part of the Oasis family again. That's the goal of church discipline. And, you know, the sad part is, brothers and sisters, most churches don't practice this anymore. They don't do this. They've gotten to this element of tolerance that we're seeker-friendly and everybody can live with their own sins and hang out together and associate. That's an impure church. We have to be holy as he is holy. You can't be in a church like that. Here's a picture of it. Have you ever been around kids where their parents totally spoiled them and never disciplined them? They're a pleasure to be around, aren't they? <laughs> it's, it's an awful situation. And that's what happens to a church that doesn't follow Matthew 18 if they don't discipline the body. That's what Paul's talking about. I must discipline you. I don't want to discipline you. I'd rather come with the love and gentleness and encourage you and hug you and give you an oasis hug and, and, and all that. But if necessary, this leadership team will discipline this body, and we will ask people to leave, which we have time and time again, for the betterment of the body. It's to protect all of you, to keep this place holy. So you are safe, and this is a great place for you to be and not worry about people whispering in your ear about sin and, and uh, deception into your own ears. Does that make sense? And why do I tell you all that? Because it's happened many times in this church, and it will happen again, and you need to know what we're doing. Our motivation is reconciliation. It's not legalism. We're not trying to get people to be super religious. We just want them to submit to the Word of God and live the life that God called them to live. You with me? Okay. So that's what Paul's talking about here uh, when he says he's coming to you with a rod or with gentleness and love. So let's close out here. Let me give you the challenges again. I would just say to you an encouragement that our desire in this church is not to shame you either, not to create legalism or religion, but it's really to love you and admonish you to become all that God wants you to be as a man and woman of God. Hear me on this. We love you and want you to become all you can for the kingdom of God. It's important you know that. And I'm going to challenge you with this other application, which is who are you, who are you with, and who should you be with? Invite someone out for a cup of coffee. There's some godly men and women in this church. And by the way, men with men, women with women. I don't think I need to say that, but I will. Don't go up to a woman and ask her out for a cup of coffee. (laughs) Older women with younger women and so on. But do it. And you'll be changed by it.